Welcome to another episode of On Another Level, where we are going to bring you to another level. And it's sort of like a deja vu because we did this show before, but this is going to be more better. Same topic, an update. And I have two dynamic guests here in the studio with me, both dynamic black men, both husbands, both fathers, both homeowners, both Boston residents. Both have the story. One has a story a little bit different than the other one because the city's trying to take his land. We'll be right back. Pay attention to another story about black folks fighting for their land. Today, a handshake nearly a century in the making. California Governor Gavin Newsom returning property taken from a black couple to their family. Warm temperatures and clear waters are a hallmark of Bruce's Beach in Southern California. But beyond the sunny skies lies a stormy past. The land was first purchased by Willa and Charles Bruce, a black couple, in 1912, a time when segregation largely restricted beach access for blacks. Charles and Willa Bruce, a married couple, had the American dream like many of us have the American dream of owning a piece of property, establishing a business, and that's what they did. The Bruce's built a lodge, cafe, and even a dance hall, open to all. The resort became an oasis for black families to swim and socialize without being harassed, until the safe haven became a target. Despite all the racial taunts to KKK, the harassment, the burning of their facilities, the taunting and the harassment of their guests, they survived and flourished for 12 years. And it was at that point that the city of Manan Beach took it upon themselves to say enough is enough. In 1924, Manhattan Beach officials seized the Bruce's land, citing eminent domain and plans to build a park. The Bruce's tried to fight the city to no avail. They received just over $14,500 for their beachfront property. The land remained vacant for three decades. Now, almost 100 years later, a reckoning. This property was stolen from the Bruce's. We're returning what was stolen, what was rightfully theirs. The state returning the prime real estate to the couple's descendants. Descendants who the family says are now scattered throughout the country, some living at or below the poverty line, despite once owning land now valued in the millions. Most of the wealth equity in this country and for most families is through land or property ownership. People who were not white have not had this mechanism. Audio needs to be a little bit quicker, but thank you for that wonderful story. And it's unfortunately not the only story. That was the West Coast, but here in the East Coast, we still have people <clears throat> taking people's land. So if you remember the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, all these different lies, this was a lie because Christopher Columbus, Columbus never discovered America. He never even landed on America. They were not called Indians because they were Indian. They're Native American or First Nation, and there were 500 nations of Native Americans. And 
<clears throat> Christopher Columbus was lost and he was looking for India because of the spices, hence Indian. So there's all sorts of information that you need to know so that you don't sound like um, you're too slow and you don't know. But that's why you tuned in to us here on another level. My guest, Garnett Brown and Nathaniel Thomas. Uh, Nathaniel actually brought this to my attention through a news article that he wrote because he found out what was happening to another black man. And instead of turning his back on what was happening to his brother, not a brother from, he's a brother from another mother, they're not related, but we all are, kind of, thank you slavery. Um, so he saw the story, saw this brother, made a connection, then actually did something about it. He wrote something in a community newspaper because the other newspapers didn't think it was newsworthy. Why? Because it's another black man losing not his life this time, but maybe possibly a life for his generations to come. He bought a piece of land, bought, owns a piece of land in Hyde Park. This is not LA. This is not somebody beach, somebody's beach on the West Coast. This is property here in Boston, which is what we do here at Neighborhood Network News and at BNN News and at the Boston Media Producers Group. We are a group of community producers that produce stories and tell you about information that's happening to us here in Boston that's relevant because the major news medias won't cover it. And so we're covering it tonight and we may actually take phone calls, but I don't know. We talk a lot and we have a lot of information. So before we go any further, welcome, good evening, Garnett Brown. Hello. And Nathaniel Hello. Thomas with that beautiful smile that you just had off camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me, this story, I, I, there's so many different nuances to this story because Boston, which really doesn't have a master plan. I mean, you hear about it, the Roxbury Master Plan Oversight Committee, blah, 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 blah. But when, it, when you look at it overall, with the affordable housing issue, with the, um, I think Boston is still number two, number three most expensive city in the country. New York, it goes back and forth between San Francisco and New York City and Boston, but it's always top 10. Um, with the issue of black people being pushed out of Boston, over 10,000 people, nobody else, everybody else is growing, but over 10,000 people, residents, voters, people that grew up here, can't afford to live here, and it happens to be lower income, and it happens to be people of color, and it's usually people that are black people, African-American. Not that I'm putting y'all out the closet, but both of y'all look like you're black. Could be something else, I don't know. But do you feel as though this attempt by the city to take your land is race related? Is it income related? Is it the city doesn't know what they're doing or they know what they're doing and you got caught up in it? Tell us the story about how you got this piece of land and why you're fighting for it. Uh, so I worked for the city of Boston. I worked for the city of Boston for about 14 years. This is my 14th year working for the city of Boston. My wife works for the city of Boston as well. Um, we have a large family, six children between us two. And um, my desire, because we grew out of the house, my first house that I purchased in 2008, we grew out of that house and we needed something bigger for our, my family, my growing family. Um, so we tried to look for a house and all the houses that were five bedrooms in the city of Boston in a neighborhood that I would love to live in to raise my kids in, um, we couldn't afford them, you know. And I make decent money, my wife makes decent money, but we couldn't afford those houses. So we decided to do something else, look for land to see if we can build something for ourselves. And that's when we came across this land. Um, it was for sale for 
many years before I purchased it. Um, it was for sale for many years before I purchased it. So I asked, I said, why is this land sitting here? Land doesn't sit here in Boston, especially um, land that's right on its beachfront property. It's, it's on a great lake. It's on a lake. Why is it sitting here? And people told me, well, you have to get this type of variance. You have to get that type of variance. The last guy tried to buy it and build a whole bunch of units there. Um, I think over 20 units or something like that. So the community didn't want that. So what I did was I said, okay, that's not what I want to do. Let me meet with the community so I could see if I can go get a variance because all I'm trying to do is build a house for me and my family. And to be cost efficient, we decided to be, build three homes. We got a variance approved to build the three homes. I met with the community. I told them who I was, what I'm about, um, uh, that I'm not some big developer, but I'm just a family man. This is, and this is a neighborhood that I want to live in because I've lived in some of the toughest neighborhoods, not most of the toughest neighborhoods in the city of Boston, I've lived in them. The toughest uh, boroughs in Roxbury, the toughest neighborhoods in Dorchester, I've lived there. So a lot of the things I've seen growing up, I didn't want my kids to, to endure or to see, mm -mm. you know? So, but you got to buy, so you actually bought the land. Yes, I did. And in order for you to build on it, you need to get all these variances. So what happened? How did the city get into where they want to take it? Well, so three years, it took me three years to get all the approvals I needed, uh, zoning approvals, uh, all, all the specialty permits. I had to go through the state as well because, like I said, it's on the water. So I had to go through Conservation Commission. I had to do a lot of things. So it took me three years to get all the approvals I needed. And um, even being taken to court by some uh, neighborhood group who, you know, came on the scene after the fact. And um, so I, w I ended up winning that case. And I got all the approvals I, I needed. And when I finally went to go get my building permits, that's when the city said, yeah, we're going to take this from you through eminent domain. And I only found out about that through, through chance, you know, because they weren't going to tell me. It was a meeting they were having in the neighborhood. About and your land. About my land, yes. With the neighborhood. Yes, with the neighborhood. So let me bring in Nathaniel Thomas. Nathaniel, you wrote a, an article, and I, I wanted to put it up, but it's kind of, it's too small. But um, the writing, so, um, but you felt moved to, to write about it. A lot of people are burnt out. You know, they use the excuses of COVID, or they're too busy, too busy working. And you took the time to actually um, fight with him, find out what it was. And you also have a background in, in knowing about land and city planning and that kind of thing on a, on a local and a city and a state level. But why did you, why did you take that extra step for this particular brother? What is it that resonated with you? I, I could relate to his story. Um, there were just layers of ironies. Uh, I also myself grew up in tougher neighborhoods in the city and I wanted to retain my family in the city of Boston for another generation. And so in order to do that in a better setting, a high park started to be really appealing. And I was able to go through a lengthy process as well, not three plus years. It took six months just to close on our house. And I was able to, to get a home for my family in a neighborhood that 
uh, was desirable and that I saw would be better for my children in the city of Boston where I wanted to stay, where I was born and raised. And so here I saw another man doing the same thing, having grown up in other parts of the city, uh, seeking to provide for his family in a better state within the same city, in the same neighborhood, um, but yet there were all these uh, obstructions that contradicted um, things that I deal with professionally as a land use planner, and it just raised a bunch of red flags. And then you throw on the cultural sensitivity that was used as justification uh, to take land from a family uh, whose heritage represents the people that were used as a ploy to justify taking the land for that very same heritage. Now, what you're talking about is the 54th Regiment. So some of you guys don't know, but you might have seen the movie Glory, where, you know, Denzel Washington has a tear because they was beating him. And um, that's actually a true story. Robert Gould Shaw and the first black infantry in the Civil War was based out of Massachusetts. So that's part of it. And also the Native American, there are people I guess affiliated with this particular group that said that they wanted to set aside this land to look and see if there are, Af there are Native American artifacts there. There hasn't been anything found there, but they think because of where it's located and because um, that particular land is part of the big campground that was used for the 54th Regiment, they're thinking, oh, well, maybe there's something here. Because when you look at the map, of, there's plenty of other houses around there, so why did they come after you? So it looks like my piece of land is the only land that's undeveloped. Um, um, so that's why they went to, to go grab it. And um, they said they were going to take my land because the public needs access to this the great pond. They just determined that that pond was going to be a great pond, and um, which is funny because I never denied the public access. That was one of the things that I put in my plans. You know, like I said, it took me a long time to get all these plans drawn up, but one thing that I put in the plan was, and I have it drawn in the plan, is uh, access, you know, the public, especially the abutters. They can still, because a lot of people fish there in that pond. They use my land to go to the pond. Uh, people tell me they do ice skating on the pond. That's something I would never do, but that's what they do, you know. So I didn't want to deny people access to something they have, they've already had access to, you know, before I bought this land. So. That was one of the things I wanted to do. Also, um, com com um, honor the 54th Regiment as well by doing, because uh, some of the land was not going to be used by myself, you know, because it was going to be untouched. One parcel of the land was not going to be was not going to be untouched. So I said, let me do like a little park where people can sit down, enjoy the pond or whatever. I was going to do that with my own money, um, give the public access to this land. And even with that, they still said, no, we're going to just take this land. <clears throat> so I think it's ironic, uh, uh, Nathaniel. And, and there's, there was a back and forth, too. <clears throat> Excuse me, there's a back and forth between your initial um, article, and then there's been some comments back and forth regarding that. But talk more about the irony about actually telling a black man you can't have this land because of other black people and Native Americans. I mean, that just, we're going to take your land. We're not going to mess with anybody else that already has a house here. They clearly didn't have to go through all that, but we're going to put you through that. What, and both of you guys are saying like that, so go ahead, Nathaniel. I mean, I think it's, it's telling that you premised with the fact that there were 
numerous amounts of tribes. 500? Yeah, 500, probably more, that historically inhabited the United States. So needless to say, we are standing and sitting and having this discussion on historical Native American land. Um, so my house is probably on historical Native American land. All those other houses are. Uh, and, you know, even looking at some of the maps in regards to the 54th Regiment, who, by the way, like, I'm a direct descendant of, of black soldiers who fought in the Civil War. And so there was another level of irony there where you had people who weren't representative of this group uh, using this group as justification to take land from people to honor this group. Uh, and then the historical maps uh, in the hearing, it looks like there may have been some horse stall that may have been there. Uh, however, you know, in 1903, the Camp Megs or Meigs that's over in, in Reedville, the central location, has been dedicated as of 1903. And those, the maps show that that was the primary location of where the 54th Regiment uh, activities took place. So if you wanted to talk about honoring them, they've been honored for over 100 years in the same neighborhood in a place that was the primary location of their activities. So what's this potential for a horse stall over here? Um, and why now? So exactly, why now? So why, I mean, why now we kind of can look at the statistics and all the political pundits and all the data that says that um, since the last several mayors that uh, there's not enough affordable housing. And so, <laughs> and I think that pro the property that you got was originally owned by a private owner and then it sort of became a, a volleyball, like a ball back and forth. And now I spoke to Bob Vance, who is one of the people, uh, representatives of 54th, and he said that there were several sites. Now I'm just saying this, and this is hearsay, if we were in court of law, I couldn't stand, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> Bob Vance, and um, there are other people that are on the other side of this, in the neighborhood association, that wanted to be on the show and present their point of view. Um, <clears throat> but it's my show, and I will give them an opportunity, but tonight is not the night. I said what I said. So I want to hear from the brothers first. Now, when we talk about that article and we talk about your background in terms of land use, historically, what has happened to black people in the city? I mean, you're from here. Both of you guys are from here. You're raised here. We talked about the different um, being moved around from neighborhood to neighborhood. And so we, we're not going to go over um, redlining and sundown towns and how even in Hyde Park, in, in neighborhoods in Boston, there are clauses in these old deeds that say don't sell to a colored person, because we weren't black then, we weren't African-American, we were colored. Is that, was that in the deed? Do you think that that has something to do with it? I mean, why, why you and why now? Is it just because there's, they need to have land that's got water attention? I think I was not politically connected. Um, like the one person that came after me when I decided to do all these things and get all, get, um, build a house. Does that my person family. happen to be black or Caucasian or? Uh, happens to be a white person, okay. from my understanding. Um, he knows all the politicians. He got some politicians behind him, and that's why we're at where we're at right now. You know, um, I'm a very boring guy. All I do, if I'm not at, I'm not at work. I'm at home. If I'm not at home, I'm at church. I don't do much else, you know. I don't go hang out at bars. I don't go, I don't, 
No, all I have is my family, my church family, and you know, brothers like this who 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 became a blessing in my life, you know, through this process. But other than that, I'm not, you know, I'm all about family. So that's that's my main focus. So it's interesting you talk about Hyde Park and Nathaniel. I don't know how much you could talk about that, but there's also another ongoing fight taking land from another black family that happens to be affiliated with the church. Um, a major black church, a major black family, they've owned the land for over 20 years, and it's about 25 acres. And so is this coincidence that in the same neighborhood there seem to be black people fighting to hold on to their land? Not, not, we're talking about one thing, buying a house and getting land, but this is land that you own. This is land that the church owns. Is it a coincidence that both of these entities fighting for this land are black people? I mean, it's, it's just, I, I, don't, I don't think it is because, you know, you just, you start to see who, who's at the end, who's at one end, who's trying to fight for something. Mm -hmm. And then you look at, if say there's a, a coalition of sorts, mm -hmm. who is reflected in that coalition, who was listened to in that coalition, and do those demographics reflect the census tract where the advocacy is targeted? Um, you know, we talked about the deed restrictions, and there, yes, there was some back and forth. There was someone claiming in a rebuttal that, you know, this area was designated as a conservation protection sub-district, et cetera, but they didn't do enough digging to realize that in a district like that, townhomes, which was proposed is allowed as of right. Um, the variance from, from the research I did was more so based on joining parcels and even in doing so there wasn't going to be uh, this omission of public access. So if no one is losing public access, if it's allowed by right and the people who are going to benefit are primarily or only black people, then why aren't the black people being hurt? Say it to the people in the cheap seats. We're on another level. There's another piece that you need to see because it's not just happening here, it's not just happening now, but it's happened before. Take a look at this clip right now. There are a lot of great $600,000, million dollar, $2 million dollar homes your biggest decision is, do I want to go to the beach or the pool, and what am I going to grill for dinner? South Carolina, Hilton Head, what's going on there? People with families, everybody loves Hilton Head. One of the best ways for an American family to create intergenerational wealth is to own some land. It's in high demand, and they don't make it anymore. I'm standing on the beach of the beautiful island of Hilton Head, South Carolina, where after the Civil War, black people owned most of this. But over the decades, the land was lost. And to this day, we got black folks that are still fighting to keep their little piece of the American dream. By 1910, African-Americans owned around 16 million acres of land, much of it acquired through purchases and homesteading. But after years of violence, intimidation, and legal trickery, most of it was taken. Texas A&M law professor Thomas Mitchell has been tracking that loss for two decades. Historically, we're talking about African-Americans, despite this 
incredible acquisition of land after the Civil War. Most of that property was not considered prime real estate. For example, Hilton Head, South Carolina. Until 1950, Hilton Head was remote. There wasn't a bridge from the South Carolina mainland out to Hilton Head Island, and the island was owned by majority African-Americans. Right. What does South Carolina do? They build a bridge. Real estate developers realize, oh, there's a great economic opportunity, and they have divisions of what has become Hilton Head. The indigo, rice, and long staple cotton of the past have given way to the golf, tennis, and swimming of today's leisure society. They started buying out individual families, and there's hardly any black landowners left. And what's just happened as our society has advanced, areas that were once considered the backwaters no longer are the backwaters. We're on a mission right now. <laughs> to get this tangerine. The vulnerability of black land isn't limited to the coastlines. It's widespread throughout the United States, even in my hometown of Tallahassee. Sandra Thompson learned just how hard it can be to maintain possession of land that developers want to get their hands on. I remember growing up in Tallahassee. Uh-huh. This was the sticks. <laughs> I went to school with people that lived out here. We'd be like, you, you live in the boonies, in the boondocks. It's actually now zoned Urban Fringe. Urban Fringe. Urban Fringe. People try to buy it. All the time. Sandra's family were sharecroppers on this land. Her grandparents bought it in 1946 using money their son made serving in the military. But their will didn't clearly identify a single person who would inherit and manage the property. When my grandmother passed away, it was left equally to her descendants. So. That essentially created heirs' property. Heirs' property. On the most basic level, what is it? Heirs' property is communal-type property, where your ancestors would have purchased the land, and once they passed away, it transfers to the next generation and their descendants. It's fractional ownership, a property that could be owned by 200 people. Any one of those heirs could sell their percentage. That new owner can go to the court and say, well, we can't agree on how to manage this land. And force the rest of the folk to sell it, even if they don't want to? Yes. And so it was essential for us to move it out of heirs' property status. And in that process, costs from probate to title clearing close to about $10,000. Wait, so you, you own the land? but then you had to pay $10,000 to own the land again? Exactly. Because of the cost, a lot of families don't clear title to their property. And so then it keeps them in a vulnerable economic risk position. African-Americans. A vulnerable economic and risky position. At a time when everybody's trying to get a grip and live their best life, Garnett Brown is trying to live his best life for him, his wife, and his four children. There's six of them. Now, my grandmother on my mother's side has 17 kids, same parents. I can't imagine that this day. But can you imagine trying to find a place? You dream about the place. You talk to your wife about the place. 
you think about where it could be that you can raise your children, have a great school, you can stabilize it in some place you know. You grew up there. You want to establish a legacy. You want to establish your legacy for your family. And then the city comes in and says, oh, well, we need to get to the lake, and we need to be fishing, and we, you know, so what? It's your land. We'll just give you X amount of dollars, and there's really nothing you can do about it. We're just going to take it. Eminent domain, the city, the government, can say we've got a better use. For centuries, that's what happened. The city would take land and say, we need to build this highway. Then historically, the research shows that those highways were always built right in the middle of the black community. Historically, Central Park, Central Park in New York, that was a thriving black community. You guys know it as a park. But there were freed black slaves that established that as a settlement. Seneca Park, now it's Central Park. Nubian Square, it's named Nubian Square, but there's barely any Nubians in it, in it any longer. If you go through there, well, you should. You should. Because I am a Bostonian. I grew up in Boston, and it's, it breaks my heart to look at what Blue Hill Avenue looks like now. I remember thriving businesses, black businesses. I remember that. And if you drive up and down there, it's depressing. It still looks like the riots just happened. And Boston, by the way, I think is probably the only place in the country. You don't see that in Watts, Chicago, Detroit, all the other places that had major riots, race riots, in the 60s. And supposedly, Boston was fine because James Brown, James Brown came here and he kept people from rioting. That's not true. I was here. There was rioting, not like the other places where they're burning down blocks of buildings. But there was still rioting and looting here, not at that magnitude and not just because of James Brown. And that's another whole show in terms of black folks and politics in Boston. However, let's talk about politics now. What is the policy, city policy, government policy that, allow, that allows the government to take somebody's land, and can you fight back? So Garnett Brown, are you trying to fight back? What is your position now? So I just want to clarify. I have six children. Six children. So there's eight oh, of eight? us. Yes. So I six of us. You said six. Okay. There's yeah, six, six children. children. There's eight of us. So um, the city offered to purchase this land early in my process of getting the permits. And I gave them a number, and they told me, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I said, okay, then no, there's nothing we can do about that, you know? Um, because, one, like I said, I'm never going to find this land ever again in the city of Boston. A good neighborhood on the water um, and a house that, that's specifically built for me everything that I need. The yard size, the garage size, everything that I need, the bedroom size. I am not going to find that in the city of Boston. So what you gonna do, Batman? You fighting or not? Yeah. Michelle Wu or any city councilor supporting you or know about the situation and support you? Uh, Michelle Wu is the one who recommended the taking of the land to oh. eminent domain. Um, the day the city councils voted on it is actually the same day that um, they voted to apologize for slavery. In Boston. In Boston. <clears throat> the same day they voted to take the land. Another comment, caller? And a hush fell over the crowd. <laughs> Thank you, caller. 
Okay, we've got another phone call here, 617-708-3280. We are talking to Garnett Brown and Nathaniel Thomas about the city taking his land or wanting to take his land. Do you still own it right now? Yes, I do. You still own it right now? Yes, I do. So we can still fight for you to keep your land? Yes. 617-708-3280. Go ahead. And like I said, um, if the city has to take, if the city has to absolutely take the land, I want them to be fair for me, to me and my family. Because like I said, it's nearly impossible to get what I have in the city of Boston. One, I still have to provide, I promise my children, my children, they, they design their own bedrooms. They design their own bedrooms. All of them design their own bedrooms. My wife have all her plans laid out. Um, and I had everything set to go to start the construction on this already and everything, the financing and everything. This was before the interest rates went up to six and a half percent, you know? So this sets me back three years of my life. Uh, lies I had to tell to my children because I promised them something at a specific place. And um, we had plans in terms of how they're gonna go to school. Some of my kids go to, my kids go to great schools, uh, O'Brien, uh, conservatory labs was some of the greatest schools in, in, the, in the city of Boston, public schools in the city of Boston. So I just think if the city is willing to work with me that's on a number that's reasonable, okay, let me stop my process over. But at the same time, it's like what I have, you can't just say, oh, you purchased it for this amount of money. We're just going to give you your money back. Three years of my life, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars I had to spend to get it to this point, you know, so. So we have another phone caller. Caller, can you tell us your name and your comment or, or question? Well, my name is Dominique Belgard. Sorry. Uh, my comment is, this is not all right. This is not fair. And is it community-based? Even though he's made a way for them to be able to make it community-based, this reminds me of Boston Commons. They did the same thing. But this has to end. This has to stop. He put money into it. He's an owner. Why can't he have ownership of that? Are they going to displace them somewhere else? And are they going to try to move the house also? This doesn't make sense. This is very frustrating, but I'm glad you're here to share this information. I'm glad I'm watching it. Thank you so much for calling. So those are all valid questions. Can they just... So the house is not built yet. That's why I believe, you know, like I said, I was at the last process, put in my permits. And, um, but you I'm, have the design and the Everything's home. done. Everything's done. Like, I could, if they, if I gave them, like, I did everything they wanted me to do in terms of for submitting my permits. And all they needed to do was me pay my fee, then give it back to me, and I have a crew ready to work, like, right now. I could start digging tomorrow. Everything is done. So I did everything I needed to do. Go through Boston Water and Sewer. I did everything. Nathaniel, what else can be done? Because you, you know from the policy side and the governmental side and this land grabbing thing. So. And you also tell us more about the process, that, uh, the voting process, because there were black city councilors that were involved in voting to take his land. Yeah, so, yeah, there was the original docket was recommended 
by the mayor, Mayor Wu, to go to the hearing on environmental justice. And at that hearing, <clears throat> you know, it was, there was a lot of people who spoke out, but notably all the people of color spoke in opposition to the taking. They did not agree with it. Uh, and all the people who supported the taking, it was the opposite. Uh, but there were some city councils who were of color that voted to take the land. Yes, yes. Um, the, the only counselor who uh, was absent who did not vote was Brian Worrell, um, who happens to be the only African-American male on the council, didn't show up to vote in support of taking the land. I don't know if that says anything, um, but yeah, there was, and, I, and it could be clearly due to misinformation. It could be due to, um, you know, politics between uh, mayors and counselors and things in the future, you know, needing to have some type of consensus and trying to build those political ties. and Beforehand. Um, so I, I, I really don't know, but I, this, it was just ironic to see them, you know, take the land, then say we're going to apologize for slavery. On the same day. Um, yeah, so one of the... One of the things I, I put in the letter, on the, it's in the, the bulletin on July 7th, the letter to the editor kind of summarizes uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Brown's story, uh, but was that the aggrieved need resources, not rhetoric. And so there's so many times that there's a lot of rhetoric and that there's more investment in looking good than doing good, um, because seeing whether or not you're doing good requires prying to the bottom. Um, below the surface, and as you can see here, as you get to the bottom of this, it really wasn't doing good for a family. And at a time uh, where families in general, regardless of race, have not been as catered to in the city of Boston. Uh, you can see in the last census that there has been a 14% decline in school-aged children in the city of Boston. And having grown up here, I remember seeing kids everywhere. But then you wonder uh, who they're building for, and then you can see who they're not building for is usually reflected in the demographics uh, and, the, and those changes. And then for the black population, the last uh, census showed uh, that it declined by 6.4%. So if you just look at the trend over the last decade, you've seen one family's leaving the city or not being able to make it there, and then you see blacks leaving the city or not being able to make it there. But yet in one fell swoop, there's a decision made by our leaders to prevent a family, a black family, from thriving in so the city. So it's a personal, individualized situation. If you look, if, if the, the irony just started to like, you're looking at the data and you see what's happening. It's like we're, we're complaining that, we're saying that this is an issue, but then we're making these decisions that contradict it. 617-708-3280, 617-708-3280, and um, we have one more clip, I believe, let me look. Um, no, actually, we don't, so we can take phone calls, because I, I got rid of that last clip. I want to talk about where you are right now. Can people write the mayor? Can they write their city councilor? There are four at-large city councilors, and there are district city councilors. So just FYI, you have five city councilors. You have your district city councilor and four other ones. That's five if you wanted to write 
someone about the situation, and there's the mayor, that's six people. Is there someone else that should be contacted, the BRA or BPDA or what do they call themselves? Uh, yeah, the Boston Planning and Development uh, Agency. I mean, now I say BRA because I remember yeah, back the in the Boston day. Redevelopment no, 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 no. Yeah. This is the Black Re Removal Association. Oh. We used to call it back in the day the Black Removal. The BRA was the Black Removal Association. So BPDA, we have to think of another name because it still has a Black um, Preventing Development Something Association. I don't know because you actually the other thing too is that when I looked at some of the data, they kept calling you a developer. Is it like depersonalizing the fact that you're so, so a when I and a went homeowner. to that city council meeting, um, that's all in the beginning of the meeting before I spoke at that meeting. That's all they said. This developer wants to come and build this and do that and do this. And when I went and I actually spoke and I said, "Listen, I'm no developer. I have never built anything. I've never built anything. I did this because this is the way I can get my family into a house." that suits our needs mm -hmm. and still stay in the city of Boston. I've lived in this city for 40 years. I've never moved outside of the city, right? And, you know, when I spoke, a lot of the people, especially the people that were against me, they, they had no idea that I was just a black man trying to provide for his family. They were like, oh, this is like a regular dude. It's not like a developer coming to build and you know, put units here just to make a profit. Like, it wasn't for profit. Me building this wasn't for profit. It was for me to have a place to live in the city of Boston. So what about the other two buildings that people were talking about? Are there other two? Yeah, so it's three units altogether, mm -hmm. um, three townhomes. And the reason why I did three is because I had to do some of the repair the road. I had to bring a sewer in from Sprague Street. I had to bring water in from Sprague Street. And I had to bring have to bring electricity in. So it was a lot of stuff I have to do. And if I was just gonna build one, first off, I couldn't build just a single family house there because of the way it's zoned. I had to build, um, do a multifamily. So that's why I said, let me do three. This will help with the cost because of the cost of the road, the, the, the sewer that I have to do and all that fire hydrants I have to put in and all those different things. So it was just a way that I can do the build, get what I wanted in terms of the house, the but size I wanted. being cost effective. Being cost effective. But also, I already had those units sold to, to the, the people in the city who wanted to live in that area. People who were willing to live in that area, good, upstanding. Because that was one of the things that came up in the, in the uh, meeting with the, the abutters. Who are you going to... Are you going to be renting those units out? Who are you going to rent them to? Like, they wanted to know everything. And I, I told them, I said, listen, I, I have to live next to these people. It's going to be people that are going to, uh, you know, you lift your up kids. your kids. Yeah, it's going to be someone I can trust around my kids, someone that is going to lift up this community. I'm not going to put someone in there that's going to drag the community down. I'm not going to put, you know, anyone that's going to make the community worse. You know, I'm going to put good people here that is going to edify this com community. So let's get back to Nathaniel. Policy-wise, land use-wise, what can he do right now? I mean, the, the term that it seemed like people were referring to that wasn't mentioned yet is this whole, uh, this term just compensation, which is actually in the Constitution, I believe it's in the, the Fifth Amendment, um, that it's around eminent domain. And it says that you can't take 
someone's land for the public good without just compensation. And then within the Massachusetts uh, general laws, I believe it's chapter 79, which spells out everything around eminent domain. And I believe it's section 14 that talks about just compensation that says should at the municipal level uh, it not be deemed just, the person being taken from can appeal to the superior court. Um, so, but that's more money. That's that's also more money if you if you want to look at how much lawyers cost. But still, <laughs> you know, it, you know, you can. There are those mechanisms in place mm -hmm. to appeal beyond the city for compensation that would be just. And so, because that's beyond the city, people may want to uh, write to or contact their state reps, their uh, state senators, um, people at the Superior Court, if there's a way to bring it to their attention uh, to ensure that there is just compensation because there's already been this decision to take um, to honor uh, African-American heritage. And Native American. And Native American heritage. Um, so, you know, my, my best advice is for people and the communities throughout the city to really become civically engaged and conscious because a lot of these mechanisms and policies that impact our daily lives like you can see someone here whose daily lives has been affected by policies and decisions at city hall um, is to become civically conscious and engaged because that's how you know what you're dealing with and what's actually not rational or logical according to the law well that's one way i mean <clears throat> so there's a there's a piece of land that's directly across from the police station in Nubian Square, now Nubian Square. So triangle of land. And I remember years ago, there was a black man that owned a brownstone. He owned a brick building on that land, and he was fighting the same fight, saying the same thing. They want to take it, and they're not giving me the money that's, that this land is worth in terms of projected wealth or what it's currently worth. And land is a premium. And that clip that we saw before, he says, they're not making any more of it. Mm -hmm. Although China is actually making more of it. They're actually putting islands out there, but that's also another show. So it ha has happened, and then because we don't have media, uh, major media that's in our control, it may look like it, but BET is owned by Viacom, which is Sumner Redstone, which is white man, BET. TikTok, Asian. Look at any kind of major media. How can you find out about what you need to do if you don't have a way to communicate to the people? How can you activate or act on anything if you're not registered to vote? It is an election year. There are major positions that are being decided. The governor is one of them. Attorney general, auditor, which most people don't even know about, treasurer, secretary of state. Secretary of state decides who gets to vote what and where. And so if you are not registered to vote, you're being affected by it anyway. From anybody who is now living in the general population of Boston, Dorchester in particular, around Seva Street, Columbus Ave, Tremont, you see all of these little white cones and everything going up and putting bicycle lanes. I've heard the conversations from black people that live in that, well, they're not doing that for us. How is that that that's our first response and that we know that historically? What are you going to do about it? This black man is saying this is what's happening to him. What can you do about it? 
Nathaniel Thomas said, you can talk to the mayor. You can call. You can call 311. You can call 911. You can call 311. 911 is for emergencies. This is an emergency for his family, but it may not be an emergency for you. But it also may be a ringing bell to tell you what is coming up the pike to move more people out of housing in Boston. And if you are a person of color, specifically black, Bostonian, African-American, if you still live in Boston, God bless you. Because a lot of people can no longer afford to. Um, we've got a last few moments here. And, and I don't like getting people riled up and not giving them specific information. What is the, the name of the article, the uh, newspaper that people can look up so they can get some more information? Uh, so the article is uh, titled, Boston's Eminent Domain Takes Families Needed Space. It's in the July 7th bulletin and a letter to the editor. Uh, I believe it's on page four. And so you would have to go to the bulletin's website and look at back issues and then go to July uh, 7th. And then there was a subsequent uh, response by a community member uh, trying to negate uh, some of the facts I put in there that was put out on uh, July 14th. And I subsequently responded to that as well. And that came out on July 28th. Uh, also another letter to the editor in the bulletin. Uh, so there you can get a couple of sources of, of information that kind of show what encapsulates what's been going on to Mr. Brown. And then is there a definite date that they're just going to come in and take your land? Or can you still fight? Is it time? Um, I mean, from my understanding, and this is what the lawyers told me, I really can't fight until they give me a number and they actually buy it and take it. And then after that, if what they give me is not fair, then I could go to court and fight but for But is there something that can happen to stop them taking it? So based on what my lawyer told me, no. After the city voted on it, there's nothing I can absolutely do. I mean, if God can move his hand and make city councilors change their mind, that can happen. But <laughs> is there, So the appeal process will be after the fact when they've already taken the land. Yeah. Yes. Does that sound right to you? It doesn't sound right to me. And it's been happening for a long period of time. There is something you can do. The people united will never be defeated. And I thank my guests for being here this evening, Nathaniel Thomas, Garnett Brown, um, black men, husbands, fathers, um, hardworking brothers, professionals. You guys are doing everything right to attain the American dream. And part of the American dream is having a home and land. And yet still, you're fighting to hold on to what you own already. Yes. And that's another conversation, too. Thank you for being here this evening. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being Thank here you. this evening. My name is Sharon Hinton. You've been on another level. There is something you can do. Get registered to vote, and then contact your elected official and talk about the situation. Is this specific case name that they should ask about, Garnett Brown versus City of Boston? Uh, it's the Lakeside um, Development. So City of Boston versus the Lakeside Development. City of Boston versus Lakeside Development. Take care of yourself and each other. Bye-bye.